Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 147 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers, and uh, we'll go right over to Tracen for some shout-outs. Yeah, our shout-outs today are to Attila from Hungary. We loved reading your email. It was great. Yes, um, I did read that. Was yeah. that the one that you sent me? Yes, it was. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. We yes. loved hearing from you. And the other one is Shelly C., and I also wanted to tell everybody, if you do the whole Facebook thing, you can find our God Beyond the Bible page, go to the groups tab, and we do have a private group where you can talk to us without your friends on your friends list, seeing everything you comment or post. That way, if you're not comfortable, you know, being it's, fully out in the open yet about what your questions and your beliefs, you can talk a little more privately. It's a private, it's a private group, and uh, you know just who we authorize to get on there. And, exactly. And uh, and I'll just say there are folks that just like to get on those sites and post stuff. You know, just we do have to kindly edit that out. And folks, it's got to be, it's got to be, you're gonna have to be kind to one another all yes. unkind remarks are going to just be removed that's yeah that's i all mean there we is. Have... And, and you'll get removed you'll get removed off of the discussion group if you can't if we can't discuss our faith without getting emotional and angry and 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 making it personal see that's the biggest thing i have against religious discussions spiritual mm-hmm. discussions anything because people when we get religious we start getting angry we make it personal we want right. to we want to jab the person that we're talking to instead of making our point we want to demean the other person and I just won't put up with that well that kind of leads us right into our quote this week I think it kind of fits it's from Adam Grant he said the hallmark of an open mind is to not let your ideas become your identity if you define yourself by your opinions questioning them is a threat of your integrity if you see yourself as a curious person or a lifelong learner changing your mind is a moment of growth I like that very much. That's something I have to work on as someone who's like struggles with change (laughs) a lot. Change is not difficult. It is resisting change that is difficult. And you guys can't see our studio here, but he actually has that written on a board right here where we can read it all the time. That's been there for a year now. I'm going to change it to something new when I think I've learned that. (laughs) I think I've got that one. Okay, we're ready for today's uh, discussion topic, and uh, it's kind of a question, I guess, but 
it is our topic, as I often present these in questions, but why do we automatically assume that the ancients had some special connection to the divine that cannot be duplicated or even built upon by individuals today? In short, why do we think that those who wrote down their thoughts on spiritual things are a one-off and they can never be repeated or improved on, and we must go backwards to discover spirituality. And I've noticed that this is not just in the Christian religion. This is no. in spir- a lot in spirituality, mm-hmm. too. That there's something back there that we just haven't been able to bring forward, kind of. They well, had you, something, and we don't. Right. Well, you know, there's there's this mindset, even among spiritual people, that the ancients had it had some secret and had it right. And if we can go back and unlock the secret, say we've always, that's the way we always do. We always want to go back, don't we? And yes. We, I guess our whole thought today is just try to consider that, you know, God can do all that stuff and more right now. Yeah. To anybody that's willing. Beautifully spoken. Is religion itself and its dogmas and doctrines not solely dependent on some time gone past? Now. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of built this idea on well, you have to have this book or this thing or whatever, this story that came out of this time so that you know about God and what God is. And like, you can't find those paths yourself or within yourself. It has to be that external. Well, well typically, isn't religion, uh, we're speaking mostly of the modern Christian religion, but I know other religions are the same thing, same way. They go mm. back, oh, they, they pride themselves on how far they go back to the earliest. Oh, yes. earliest re- using ancient writings, uh, isn't it true that, you know, they're, they're always seeking some time going past and that, and, and that most of these religions, Christian religion, no exception, use ancient writings to build its traditions on and around? Definitely. Yeah. And, you have, And the- it's not all just the Bible. They use ancient church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right. the Christians do it. And even, you know, if you go into other religions, there's, what is it, the Bhagavad Gita. And you have the Quran. Many religions are built the upon Sumerian this. The Sumerian text. Yes. You have all kinds of things, yeah. Now, why do we as humanity, especially those who are spiritual seekers, tend to put more value on what some wrote a hundred years ago, or let's say even a thousand years ago, than someone who presents a thought from a totally modern perspective? I know this is a hard way to think because we're programmed to think that they were just smarter then. Well, it's like we're taught from the time that we're infants almost. You know, as soon as your parents can really start communicating things to you, you're taught that those people back then they communed with god they knew god they knew things you know they had this figured out and somewhere along the way we've lost it and this person over here that's telling you that they speak to god and commune with god and god is giving them these things to write down and share with people they're crazy well and how much of that too is our ego it's easy to say hundreds thousands of years ago they had this divine connection but because i'm not experiencing god for example you guys remember when the book heaven is for real came out mm-hmm. yes yeah. okay i have to be honest at that point i was very steeped in the organized church right. and in mm-hmm. that that fundamentalist christianity And I was like, wow, this guy just totally made this up and put it on his son and gave him all these ideas that this happened. And that was just my, because I hadn't experienced it, because this did not happen to me. It was my ego saying, okay, well, this couldn't have really happened. And now you go back and go, 
I don't know what his journey is. I don't know what he saw or did not see. You see, you can't. Yeah, Yeah. I absolutely understand that. What do you think it is that we as humanity, especially those who are spiritual seekers, tend to put more value on what some wrote? Harvey did that, didn't I ask that question? uh, Do we not? Do we not do this in every aspect of life pretty much? You know, education is all about presenting, preserving, and honoring the path of interpretation and discovery of former days and theories. You know, we. Oh, I'm going to just say common core math is a perfect example of of people wanting to dig their feet in and say, we can't do this any other way. Math is math. Math has been the same for yeah. hundreds of years. When in reality... When I actually looked into the Common Core, it helped my kids learn better. They understood sure. what they, even though it really didn't make a lot of sense to me, mm-hmm. but it's just a progression in thinking. If you compare the way that you were taught to do math, I struggled with it mm-hmm. throughout school. You did your best to help kind of tutor me along right. and stuff as my older sister, but I really struggled with it. But as I got older and I developed my own ways and then Common Core math came out and I looked at it and went, Oh, this is what I've been doing. This yeah. is why math makes sense to me now. But I think we resist what we don't know. Well, it's. I think you hit it a while ago when you said it's a collective ego. See, and that's what makes us always look to the past. Mm-hmm. We're, for some reason, we are convinced, and I think the church has had a lot to do this with this. We're convinced that every generation is dumber mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than the generation before. So that makes us a lot dumber than those people that <laughs> live. And that's just not. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there were ancient tech. Now, I believe that we've been to this technological peak before. Sure. It must have went awry. I don't know what really went wrong that we fell back down, tumbled back down to the bottom and started over. That's just my personal theory. Uh, um, another fun thing I was going to say on the education thing. I can remember in first grade when I had a teacher tell me we always had this one little boy in our class and he was super smart and he was always kind of pushing the teachers a little bit and so we were doing the columbus day celebration and this little boy goes well i mean i just think we should maybe talk about that columbus wasn't really the nicest guy you know some of the things that he did (laughs) he he had ambitions didn't he yeah Yeah. she (laughs) shushed him and goes we don't talk about that here right and it was one of those moments where looking back i'm like oh That was what that education system was. Uh, We often think of science as being the most progressive and open-minded field of thought and research, yet scientists are quick to tell us that it takes decades, if not a century or more, for any new ideas and concepts to be widely accepted in in academic science and all, you know, higher. Uh, Um, You know... What are your thoughts on that? I mean, think about that. Because I hate to say scientists all. I mean, most scientists die before they ever see their well, because right. their theories are... come even be cons- uh, considered to be maybe mm-hmm. something we ought to look at. Well, and if you think about it, you know, you have things like a really big one right now is quantum theory, and you notice that you always hear people talk about, you know. Stephen Hawking and his quantum theory, Mm -hmm. quantum theory. You don't ever hear quantum fact because there's nothing provable about quantum theory. Mm -hmm. So it can't really be at the place that we're at right now. It can't be really a fact. And science is really careful about what they call as a fact because if they say that this is a fact, chances are that they're going to have to go back to some of these other facts from, you know, 100 years ago 
and readjust them looking takes, at the new ta- information. It takes a long time to make a paradigm yes. shift in any field, doesn't it? How many memes and posts do we encounter that praise the old way of thinking about things and doing things and at the same time depicts a new way of doing or thinking about these things as bad and dangerous? Now, let me just give you an example because I've seen this several times. There's some new deal about old country yeah. that's going around. That's fine. Do you like old country? But at the same time, I think the name of the deal is why I hate new country. Right. Yeah. So we have to hate something. We have to. Did you ever catch up? Did you ever catch that? We've got to hate something. What is that in us that that the old, you know, and we're talking about old country and there'll be somebody like Hank Williams Sr. or somebody like that. And they'll put a meme, you know, a deal of him and it'll be why I hate new country or why I hate pop country and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, what is it in us that? If it's new, we have to, ha- if we, if we, if it's not from our era, we have to hate it. Right. I started to say, this is something I have to ask. There had to have been, as you kind of grew up going into the outlaw country, you know, the Willie Nelson, sure, Waylon sure. Jennings, mm-hmm. was there that dislike for them that there was, you know, compared to Hank Sr. and things like that? Like, I mean, I that guess was in your parents' generation, maybe their country turned that yeah. racket off. Yeah, started. well, yeah, the Eagles. The... Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it was. It's it's been every generation, mm-hmm. and I have no doubt it was the generation before them. Uh, look at how they looked at the fifties when they started. And here's what's amazing: is what they were mad about in the fifties about the way they danced. They separated and started jumping all around and twisting and all that stuff. This is what just blows my mind. Up till then, dancing was very close and almost sexual. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then they back off from one another because that's, you know, the, the dancing then, that was the criticism of the dancing of the 30s and the stuff. Right. It was way, t- and then you got into the flappers and all of that stuff. But then you get into this new dance. These young kids are doing this new dance where they're standing far apart and they're twisting. They're not even dancing with you. Then we criticize that. Never happy. We're never yeah. contented. <laughs> I had a lady that told me, um, I had posted a recipe online for something that I make kind of regularly at our house and it was like an instant pot recipe or something using one of my new kitchen gadgets because I love things that save time and she made a comment under it that was basically you should try really cooking a meal from scratch like your grandparents did that's really cooking and I'm like I think it's cooking if I throw it in the microwave. <laughs> if if that was real, if that was really cooking, we wouldn't have any instant cake mixes or anything like Precisely. that. It, it wouldn't be so popular. If her, if she would have to step back and think. Now, if my thought process is the correct one, it's so popular. Then why are these businesses that make it so mm-hmm. easy doing so well? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Even with things like the COVID vaccine, one of the biggest arguments is that medical scientists developed it too quickly. Therefore, it can't be trusted. We've heard people say back in the past it took decades to develop a vaccine, and they developed this in just over a year. And we always hear that in the critical context. What about, wow, we've come a long ways. It used to take decades of suffering and millions of preventable deaths for us to produce an effective vaccine. And now the science has evolved to a place that we can counter a new disease in a year or two. You see, it isn't all about how you look at it is, but we have the, we automatically, people gravitate, see people who sell stuff, people who start movements, people who put this, they all know this tribal instinct that we have, that we're going to tribe, and it's easy to appeal to us with the past, much easier than it is to appeal to us with the future. And it's really easy for us to forget, especially like, 
out here as people who haul garbage. It's really easy to forget that there are people who have been dedicating their lives for 30 years or more out there doing vaccine research before COVID-19 was well, a thing. So yes, they were able to yes. build upon, you know, right. it's just easy for us to look through our narrow little window, I guess is what I'm trying to say and think we understand a really large problem. Well, not to stray too far from our topic, and that is, why do we tend to think the old ways are the best ways when we know that isn't really true in any area that has progressed? I mean, uh, I just want to ask this question before I go on. Who wants to have a heart surgery the way they did it in the 1960s? I don't. A heart procedure? Nope. Huh? (laughs) No. So, I'm just saying, you know, it's it's funny how we'll embrace when we have to. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, a couple of years ago I had my gallbladder yeah. out and they did just maybe four or five small, tiny incisions compared to 30 years earlier. Oh, yeah. My mother-in-law has a 10-inch you, long been scar. You would have been down for yeah. six weeks or more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Who wants to go back to a strict agricultural existence? And we're talking about going back to the path, the better, always... With all the toil and labor that it took to survive, and when survival is dependent on all the factors like the natural elements had to line up perfectly if we want to eat, don't we falsely romanticize that living that way was somehow simpler and less stressful? But what could be more stressful than to think that you and your loved ones may go hungry all dependent on the weather? I had to put a lot of thought in this. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is something that I sort of romanticize, I guess, sometimes in my mind a little bit. This idea of a simpler, you know, existence. Living off the grid. Yeah. Yeah. But the more that I I thought about it, I realized that I think for myself, at least, my problem is really that I want to live in the present moment where I'm not focused on the bills that are due next month or the month after or all of these things on my list that has I'm only out there focusing on I have to plant this crop I have to you know harvest this instead of but you know we're saying that 60 70 80 years ago when they did that they had to grow their own food that that's what they were just living in the present moment but that's not true no no it's no. not they were all looking for a better way yes. to do it and they developed better ways to do it then we had the industrial revolution mm-hmm. where exactly uh, plows and machinery and combines right. and everything always- and because humans because are progressive guys the, well because we are made in the image of a progressive god Yes. He didn't just, you know, things didn't just stay at the garden. Right. Exactly. Things didn't just stay at the flood. Things didn't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, anyway, how has the idea that the, how, how has the idea that the old ways were the only correct way and that the ancients are the only ones to figure it out? How has that affected the organized religions of today? God can speak to you, but he can only speak to you through the words that he spoke to them. So go read those words and he'll tell you what he wants you to know. Does it does it make you rethink your place about religion when you see it in this light, when you look at it and say, now, wait a minute. What was it that they had that gave them this advantage over us today? I mean, you look today and, and, you know, we have so many advantages, so many avenues. And this is to his fault. Organized religion, they, they, if they could, they had, they had, they had damned the internet and everything, Absolutely. you know, that, that because it's just too much, too much information on too broad, 
too broad a spectrum there for them to be comfortable with. To imply that the divine is only equipped to inspire and lead us in ancient times is implying that creation has outlasted his expectancy or that he didn't really anticipate us to ever rise to the level of technology or be here as long as we have today. Both implications seem to really sell the divine short, don't they? It does. Or it makes you feel like he just lost interest. Well, every now and then you ask a question and I'm just like floored. And to say <laughs> that um, you said it's implying that creation has outlasted his expectancy. That really just, I was like, wow, we do live like that. Yeah. yeah. Because we go back to that Bible and say, well, it all just, it, it all came to the head right then. And mm. we're trying to get back there. Trying to get back there? Really? Is that what he wants us to do is try to get back somewhere? Yeah. I, I mean, that just, that really blew my mind. I've said it before and I got it there again. I'll give Rob Bell a plug. It was his that opened my eyes to this when he said, God's not in the past waving us back. Come back here. You left me back here. Everybody come back here. And that's, isn't that the message that the church is presenting? Yes, yes. absolutely. Let's get that old time religion. We need to go back to hard where, church we need, pews we, and, yeah we need to go back where we had revivals that lasted till 11 o'clock and they went on for two weeks and three weeks and then we see we romanticized that we weren't even there you mm-hmm. talk about revivals wrote, like that tabby's eyes glazed over <laughs> yeah i started thinking about it. i think i'm busy i think i have a funeral that week <laughs> do we find ourselves always judging the generation that comes after us i think we've already discussed this as being less good because of their swift swiftness to embrace new technologies hasn't every generation and their collective ego thought that they were the last best and brightest generation on earth i'm gonna be honest I think that I struggle with this a little bit coming from the millennial generation. And it's from this sort of feeling mentally beat up from, because the current generations out there, the older generations tend to call millennials anyone from, you know, my sister's age all the way down Mm -hmm. to her children's age. But the truth is that most of us as millennials are in our thirties and we've been so beaten down by so many people who are like, well, these millennials, they can't do anything right. They can't think straight that I catch myself doing the same thing with my generation. But then it all goes back to ego, right? I was visiting with someone yesterday and this person I I love them very much and I care very much for them, but they always know exactly what decision everyone else should make. And if that person's not doing what they think they should, then they're just, they're wrong. There's no other, and we really treat everything in life that a lot of us do. And I I had an experience this last week where my ego reared its ugly little head and you know, you, you have to, it's a constant fight and you have to recognize ego in yourself and be able to. Ego doesn't care whether you're right or wrong in your thinking. Ego is just there to protect whatever you're thinking at the right. time. Yes, protect what exactly. you believe at the moment. That's all ego's there to do. And when, when you get, I had one of the same experiences uh, where I was uh, talking to a guy. He posted a little devotion, and I <laughs> back, and it just went south in a yeah. hurry. It just went all because he got angry. I could tell, and I, you know, it's like, whoa, brother. It's all good here. Let's don't. Let's don't. You we're, know, we're still friends. And then friends? he finally went back and removed all of the. Yeah. conversation all of the conversation hopefully because he looked at it and thought well i didn't react right very sure. well there uh see people when people when something brings anger up in me when anger rises up in something in me that's my ego protecting yes yep. 
me from them. It's mm-hmm. us and them, me and everybody else. How would a paradigm shift that we're getting better and smarter instead of generally accept the generally accepted concept that we're getting worse and dumber? How how would this paradigm shift affect the progress of humanity? Do you think? Well, let me tell you. If we could actually embrace and say, you know what? God's still doing great. And matter of fact, he's doing greater things than he's ever done. We have cures for diseases. We have ability to. I'm not so much about making people live longer. That doesn't really. I hope you take this the right way (laughs) about all this that, well, we're living long. If it's no quality, I'm I'm thinking more about our quality of life. There's less suffering. Right. Yes. There's less suffering. Well, and, I, and shouldn't we really embrace that and say, oh, I'm so thankful because any of us of any age have watched somebody suffer terribly that if they had what we had right now, they wouldn't have suffered so much. Right. Sure. I mean, people that, you know, my mom has RA and a generation before her, she would have been in a wheelchair by now sure. if she was even mm-hmm. still with us. And she's still up and motivating and getting around great. Right. But. When I stopped looking at the next generation like they were going to end up being complete idiots and incapable of carrying the world on, I started realizing that these are some really smart, really loving kids who are doing things differently, but they're repairing a lot of generational mistakes that have been made. And a lot of it with the help of their parents, they're going through and they're they're healing some of these generational problems that have been brought down um, sometimes for five or six or more generations. And seeing that has really taken away that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and despair that I was kind of filled with for a long time. Like, oh, the world is definitely coming to an end this time. Well, if if any generation is screwed up, who screwed them up? The generation before. Yeah. I just want to say that. I just want to see it. You said something interesting. You said that this world is really going to end this time. Is that part of our problem? Is that we have it ingrained in us that Jesus is going to come back? Yes. That this is the end of the world is coming. So we can't have hope in the future. No, you're watching for all of the negative things. Our hope lies in all of these negative things stacking up so that Jesus will come back. That's the only hope you have is in despair. And that's no hope at all. And what's amazing to me then, even these people that support this gloom and doom and then it's Mm. hallelujah. Right. Uh, the people that support this, then they frantically fight against the very thing that they say, well, the world's going to just go to hell in a handbasket mm-hmm. and things are going to get and people are going to be corrupt. And then they'll turn around and say, we need to get out here and vote and stop this from happening. Right. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm confused. Which side are you on? Are you, are you looking for it to happen or are you trying to keep it from mm-hmm. happening? And it just, it, it, it's that, it's, I don't know. <laughs> It's confusing. How would a paradigm shift to the concept? Okay. How would a paradigm shift to the concept that the divine is still speaking, communicating with, and leading humanity in real time, modern time, methods and avenues, apart from the improved, apart from the improved upon from the time the ancients experienced him affect the spirituality of humanity? Let me re-ask that. I kind of stumbled through that. If we just had a paradigm shift that we quit thinking that the people back there is the only ones that had it right and that God's still in modern time, real time, leading us and speaking to us and, and, and progressing us as humanity, how much better would life be just for that thought for people to have that thought? 
I think people would actually truly experience peace. I, I mean, I yeah. do. And I, and I think that from that peace, the love and the compassion for other people would just well, flow out. For ourselves, I think when, and I know Tabby can kind of relate to this one, when you realize that that voice that's inside you was the divine trying to communicate and not some evil entity trying to influence you the wrong way or confuse you, you do start seeing the wonder and incredible things that are around you that you've been missing for your entire you've life. You've even rejected them because they're modern. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this, some people have this mindset, I have to reject, I mean, this is the whole Amish movement. We have to reject all progress. Yes. Yeah. Mechanized progress. And- yet, yet, and I'm not condemning them, but they will still use a modern hospital when. Uh-huh. When necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad they do. I'm not sure. condemning it. I'm glad that they can step at least but step they've... out of that mindset to the place to be able to re- help relieve the suffering of their own. Right. Tracy said this something a while ago when she was talking about that. The reason we like, and I may have mentioned this in another future podcast, maybe that we're going to record today for the month of uh, February, right? Are we recording? Yeah. yeah. Recording for February, right? Um, but I- I've-, I've concluded the reason that we think the past is better and we love the past and we romanticize the past is we lived through that. Yeah. We don't know if we're going to live through the future. We know we're not going to live through some future, right? right? So do you see how our, see how that plagues us? That fear is automatically we fear the future because we already know, hey, the past, whew, we made it through that. Right. But the future... I, there's going to be some future. I'm not going to make it through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this because as someone with anxiety disorder, this has helped me tremendously. And I hope that it will help you guys. But it is, there is one thing in my life that I cannot survive and only one thing. Yeah. And there is nothing I can do about that one thing. That's so I will not worry about it. That's it. Final discussion thought. Some have suggested that our tendency to cling to the past is our fear of the future. I just said that, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like I said, we know the past. We know we've survived it. Do you guys think that's a valid point? Do you think that's really psychologically what we're doing? Yeah, you yeah. find comfort in what you know or what you think you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you why know. is there no place like home? Because it's a place that you know. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Mm-hmm. True or false? Our future is brighter simply because so many of this time are becoming enlightened and casting off the old mindset that the ancients had a monopoly on divine intelligence and communication. True. True. And it, guys, it's happening everywhere, everywhere I look. I think, now, has it been happening? And I go back and I'm getting introduced to books that people wrote around, you know, the turn of the century and the early part, even in the 1800s. These were very progressive thinking people Uh but they didn't have the avenue of getting the word there was no podcast yeah to getting their thoughts out to the people yeah well as always until next time may the divine's unconditional love peace and grace be on each of you our fellow listeners from all of us here at god beyond the bible did you enjoy listening to god beyond the bible Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.